putting up uh, ants up my nose? <laughs> <laughs> do you, don't, you don't normally do that, do you? Put hands up my nose. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> you know, I actually had this sewn uh, when I was at the Dharma Center just really as, a, as just to startle somebody. <laughs> and it really worked well. It was, it was, it was, some, it was a, dear, a dear friend who's 90 years old and she's sitting right here went like this, pulled it out, went like this. <gasps> she had a good smile. She's great. Just, that was just worth having it sewn. For that. Just for that one moment. This morning, uh, we'll carry on, but um, it's lovely. I, I read um, somewhere, uh, you know, you have these Zen stories. Lovely Zen story. I thought you'd want to hear this one. Very famous Zen story of uh, the student of um, Master uh, Ishto. Ishto? I think it's Ishto. Or Ishto. Or Ishta. Ishto, I think. The student says to the master, would you please write something of great wisdom, profound and great wisdom? Sure. (laughs) He takes out his pen, takes ink, takes out the the brush, ink, and the student is waiting for profound words of wisdom. And the Zen master just writes in beautiful calligraphy, attention. The student complains. This is not wise. <laughs> Give me some, I want something wise, something deep, something profound. Please write something. Teacher writes, attention, attention. <laughs> Student complains again. And again, what is the teacher? Attention, attention, attention. But missed the point, the, the student doesn't see that, that attention, if you follow it through, is so profoundly deep. You could have been writing mindfulness, 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 sati, sati, sati. And uh, follow it through, and it, um, it's profound what it does. So this leads me to, to something which is a major theme these days for, for this being, and I've mentioned it a number of times uh, here at UBC in teaching and uh, a little bit since I've been here. Good morning. Good morning. There, there, is a, uh, there is a funny thing that happened on the way of the forum, but there's a funny, a funny thing, is that this, I mentioned this last night, this idea that when you have mental experience, that it's not physical, it's a mental thing. And this is actually a trick of the brain, really, we, a trick of the self, if you want. Uh, it's like being in a movie theater and uh, forgetting that there's a projector and that you're on a seat, and you're in a theater. Isn't that right? Isn't that the purpose of being in a movie theater? Mm. Is you forget very quickly, maybe within a second or two, that you're in a theater, and there's actually a screen, and a projector, and so on. Well, this happens to us all day long. And we um, very quickly don't recognize that with our thoughts, they're actually physical. Because they're kept, uh, kept away from that like in a theater. 
But every thought that you have, every uh, sensation of mind, if you wish, is a sensation and changes the chemistry of your being, even subtly. And it can be very, very subtle. It's important uh, in the path of liberation to become extremely, as a lady pointed out last night, well, don't we need to open our senses? Yes, you do, to a very, very high degree. One of the senses you need to open, which we don't call in the West, generally speaking, a sense, is the, what we call in the West the mind door. Mind door must be opened. And there isn't a separation, like an artificial separation, between what we call mind and body. That's a trick, that's a trick of conditioning. But as you probe and as you explore and as you become very, very clear in the mind, you'll see it's a seamless continuum. And really, it's a matter of how sensitive you are to pick up uh, messages, phenomena of mind-body. So now I'm going to talk this morning a little bit about the inner level, if you wish. Now, many people keep saying, um, I wish to make changes in my being. Uh, uh, either depression or anxiety or uh, difficult things a person does or neurotic behavior or whatever is plaguing the, the human being and how to do that. And uh, if you understand, as we do now, we do actually have understanding of physiology. <laughs> there is understanding of brain chemistry. This, this actually is there. Is it takes time to make changes in physiology. You can make sudden changes, but for it to become well entrenched, just like any conditioning takes time to become well entrenched, you're going to have to work, work at it. And what we often don't do in this society is we don't um, give enough time to work the brain. We will with certain things. For instance, some of you in this room are highly trained uh, in a discipline, yes? Right? And you spent lots of money at university or college to do that, correct? If you add up the number of hours that it took to do that training, could you imagine if you took that number of hours and the number of days that you put in, and sometimes the number of days per hour, really, and stack those together, the times that you were cramming for an exam, the time that you were in the library doing research on um, a chemical compound, or writing the, uh, a research paper on the history of the uh, Visigoths, or a 30,000-page paper, or writing a thesis. You're changing your brain chemistry. You're changing, actually, you're actually changing the way you, you are as a being. So imagine if you took that kind of energy and application and put it towards uh, themes of loving kindness, of compassion, of attentiveness, of attention to detail, attention to, but, but in a way that awakens the mind, you will then see substantive changes. This is really the problem today, is that people are complaining, well, I did some meditation, but it hasn't worked. That's because the attitude is a, not only a non-traditional attitude, trying to impose a Western view of modern uh, product marketing and modern product usage on something 
that actually physiologically and um, cognitively doesn't work that way. Does this make sense? So in other words, people are looking for a pill because it works quickly, but actually that's not how we change physiologically. So if you're looking for a pill, go take a pill. If you want quick changes, go to a movie. If you want quick changes, go to a coffee shop. If you want quick changes, no, really, go to have a massage. Go, go to a hot tub. You'll feel better. But you know that doesn't actually sustain. So to sustain, you're going to actually have to go to the inner level, outer level. The outer level is attention, bare attention. The inner level is you're going to actually have to change your body chemistry. I mean that. I've actually been on about this for 35 years. If you, if you have the sensitivity to feel it, you'll feel every time you do something. And every time you meditate, you will feel your body chemistry changing. That's for real how it happens. And if you want to measure your, blo your, your blood chemistry and the endocrine flows, you will pick those up as you're meditating. We couldn't do that in 1981. We proposed that. We couldn't not do that. At Carleton University, we could not do that because of committees and all kinds of things. But shortly after, about three years after we proposed doing that, they did it at Harvard. It's measured on, measured the endocrine changes within the blood for people meditating. It's for sure, for real. But one hour is not enough to change the way the cells secrete chemicals, the way an area of the brain has now been wired, not really wired, has been remapped. It takes time like a muscle that's been atrophied for cells to actually change the way they function. And it can take months. It may even, for some people, take years. There's a very famous story, which, which I believe, I have no doubt about it, is a, a, a great meditation master in Tibet in the, about the 12th century the founder of one of the great famous schools of the Kagyu lineages, uh, suffered from epilepsy. And he was a great meditator. He suffered from epilepsy, massive epilepsy. It was only when he actually really had a tremendous breakthrough in retreat, what they call enlightenment, real enlightenment, real, real thing, his epilepsy was gone. Now you think, well, that's it's not psychological. Physiologically, the amount of attention he was bringing and changing his being allows massive changes to occur. This is it. So as, uh, as my uh, beloved teacher, Nam Rinpoche, once said uh, later on in his life, hey folks, during an Abhidhamma, during an insight retreat, folks, get real. It's chemistry. It's chemistry. But that doesn't take any of the majesty, the mystery, the beauty away from you if you use the word chemistry. Chemistry, I happen to have a bias here, you know. <laughs> I happen to love chemistry. That doesn't take anything away from the mystery and majesty of the universe because you are using the word molecule. As a matter of fact, to me, it actually makes it more interesting. It's fascinating. And the deeper you go in biochemistry and molecular biology, the more interesting it gets. As a matter of fact, I have a dear friend, comes to Canada occasionally, Tarshan, 
uh, Tarshan Hearn, who's a wonderful meditation teacher, a very accomplished uh, uh, being. Uh, you'll find that in his cabin in New Zealand, uh, that instead of a Dharma textbook on his bed is a molecular biology textbook this thick. He's working, he works through it as a meditation text, step by step by step by step. Well, that's what happens when your mind is quite free. You turn your mind to explorations, and they become contemplations. not hung up about emotional things anymore. You're just on about life. What's life about? So you really have to understand, when, when in the old text they talk about energy yoga, they talk about sensation of breath, or they talk about breath yoga, talk about the inner yogas, the channels, the drops, called the drops. The word is bindu in, in uh, Sanskrit. That word drop means, literally, wet secretions the liquidy secretions that you feel when you have mental concentration and you feel a flow come over you. You feel, you've had that, yes? It's not a mental thing. It's a physical sensation, right? But many people say, I had this mental experience. What happened? I felt beautiful. Felt beautiful. Felt glorious. What is that? You know when you fall asleep? You never get very sleepy? Very, very sleepy? Do you ever feel like someone's injecting you with a, uh, a drug? Does it feel like a drug? You know, like, like sometimes in the class here? <laughs> feel the sensation. What does it feel like? Like you're being anesthetized, yes? You, because you are. <laughs> you are. It's not a mental thing. Oh, you're, you're, you're bad mentally. You're, you're just, you're just uh, psychologically... No, you're being drugged. How about after a meal, sometimes? It's chemistry. It's okay. It's okay to say that. You're chemical beings. We're all chemical beings. doesn't take the majesty. doesn't take the mystery out of it. You can still be a mystic. You can be a chemical mystic. Really, it's called a nature mystic. It's called a natural mystic or a natural science of the, of the mystics or of the mysteries. For sure. It's a long tradition. But that's what's happening. It's happening. You are a physical being. That's okay. Having mental experience. That's okay. And it doesn't really matter where the brain areas are that are being affected. I could go on about that and talk about the accumbens, all kinds of things like that. But the point is, you have to have the experience and have to have the confidence that physiologically, that's why I say, are you comfortable in your skin? Physiologically, change is happening, and it sticks, and you know it's good, and you support the good. Does that make sense? So we have to get away from this total, this mentalist thing, that there's a uh, mind-body split. And somehow what we're doing is we're working on this abstract mind, which may be, it's fine. But everything that happens mentally is also happening physically. How you think is what you become. P. 
people's faces and, phys and, and physiques are shaped by thinking, deeply shaped by genetics, by the way, but can gr be grossly shaped by their thoughts, by their emotional qualities. So we have to get away from this idea that I'm having an emotion as some abstract mental quality. It's a physiological soup. It's a wet brain. And you need the sense. So those are called, in ancient language of the yogas, of the, of the um, uh, awakening yogas, or liberating yogas, right? those are called the meditation on the bindus, on the bindus, the wet secretions, the channels, the nerve channels, and the winds. Those winds are physical movements in your being that you can feel which move you along. If you don't have the sensitivity, it becomes a mentalist trip. So to gain the sensitivity at that level not only takes time, but you have to start at the gross and move to the fine. Does this, does this make sense, what I'm getting at? That's why I'm bringing it up. It's very important. You need a foundation in the gross to get to the fine, what we call the fine energy body in, in ancient language. The fine energy body is so fine that most people never know what it is. They never encounter it. In the same way that there's many people here, perhaps in the room, who when an acupuncture needle goes in, never feel the uh, changes, the physical sensation, as it runs the meridian. They just don't. Other people, right away, can trace it right up, yep, insert it here, went right along here and actually can trace all the way through the body and, and uh, uh, show you exactly where it goes. For a lot of people, don't have a clue, but it takes training. It takes training. I used to go to a friend of mine who's an acupuncturist uh, in Ontario about once every two weeks for the purposes of, of just tracing meridians. Interesting. Just to trace meridians, to tell her, ah, I can feel it's going from here to here to here to here to here. To learn, not because she's telling me, but actually learn uh, from direct experience where the meridians are. So where do we start with the gross? What, what is it that we're going to use as our avenue in to finer and finer levels of sati, of mindfulness, so we can actually make substantive changes to our physiology? Because what you're worried about, what people are concerned about, is the gross uh, and subtle, but mostly the gross emotional or, or mental so-called mental activities that they feel out of control about, whether it's social anxiety, whether it's worry, too much worry, uh, whatever it is, depression, mania, and how are you going to affect these changes? You're going to have to make wholesale changes in the brain, and they must stick. This is why I'm very excited about about a lot of the research being done today because I believe that a lot of therapy is going to undergo a great, great shift as we understand how things actually work. That doesn't mean necessarily dispensing with talk therapy 
and it doesn't necessarily mean finer drugs. But we do need to understand what's actually going on in there. And it's getting better and better. It's wonderful. When a person's saying, I'm not happy, I can't be happy about something that you're happy about, or I was happy for five minutes, and now I'm just not happy. It doesn't interest me anymore. It's not because they're a bad person. It's not because they're mentally doing a number. They don't have the brain chemistry to sustain it. It's like putting gasoline in your car and it leaks out. For the other person, the gasoline stays in there. They can go 100 kilometers. For somebody else, they put gasoline in their car and it leaks out and they can only go 10 kilometers. Now they're not happy. It's not because they're a bad person. It's not because they're necessarily thinking the wrong way. Their, their brain isn't structured in that way. It needs to get altered. And you can say, well, what did this? What did this? Lots of things can do this. Would you say that there's anybody in this room that's normal? <laughs> Put your hand up if you're normal. Exactly. Jamie's normal. Jamie's normal. Setting on the dryer. Setting on the dryer. Yeah. But here I'm looking at normal, relatively normal people. Why? Because you're all unique and wired and programmed and mapped very, very differently. And yet we can actually have a conversation. It's extraordinary, isn't it? And when I use words like happy, we can sometimes even know what that means. It's fantastic. So you're all really unique. But there's something that's the same. Clinging. At the root of all these things, there's clinging. So we have to even go deeper. So you can spend the rest of your life trying to remove this and change that and alter this and change that. And I'd like to tweak this about myself and I'd like to alter this about myself. But actually, it was found a long time ago that if you cut through all the stories about you, you cut through all the stories about what's right about you and what's wrong about you and what's wonderful about you and what's terrible about you. And you keep focusing on the essential point which is the organism clings. It holds on, and that holding on is suffering. And when it lets go, it's profound peace. It's profound tranquility. It's profound release. If you discover that, then you can bypass a lot of years of work of trying to alter a little bit here and alter a little bit this and do away this part of your ego and rebuild this. Why? Because the whole foundation of it rests on what? Clinging. Beings cling. And they hold. And it doesn't feel good. Unfortunately, as you probably know, I am teaching to the wise, that sometimes the clinging and the after effects of clinging aren't even understood as being a negative. They're okay. Because you're told they're okay. Right? You're told they're okay. But they're not okay. 
So remember, whenever you're practicing, whenever you're studying Dharma, whenever you're on about liberation, remember the key point. No matter how complicated you want to make it, the essential point is when clinging stops, the experience is a dramatic change of freedom. You have to find out what real freedom is. Be absolutely confident about real freedom. Changing the dials all the time is not freedom. So I don't mind helping people in their emotional consternation, in their twists and turns. But actually, the teaching of Dharma is a swift path by which you go for the heart of the matter. I like that word. I like that phrase, heart of the matter. What is the heart of the matter? You can spend the rest of your life collecting phenomena, and you can spend the rest of your life worrying and trying to remove all the bad things about you. But you'll still be clinging, won't you? Do you know that? You've got to really know that. You'll still be clinging. So what are you going to have to study? Clinging. You're going to have to study what it is to suffer and how that gets released. And we started that last night. Because the inner aspect of this is, by applying enough mindfulness, you see that phenomena are not lasting. The illusion is that they last. The illusion is that you last. The illusion is that your feelings are everlasting. The illusion is that sensation stays the same. The illusion is that you're the same person as you were yesterday, or even a minute ago. But apply some mindfulness, and you can't even find it the same. Now, that's not an intellectual thing. If it's actually for real, and you do it enough times, it begins to stick. As a matter of fact, if you do it enough times, and it really sticks, you're not even the same being anymore. I really, really enjoy it when I see emails or people tell me, you know, after many years of practice, uh, it begins to actually really um, unfold is physiologically, they'll say, this is beautiful, I don't feel the same. Not only physiologically, but this, this feeling of utter freedom just keeps surfacing and surfacing more and more and more and more as a natural abiding state of the mind. Something's changed. But at some point, you're going to have to bring a lot of attention to what's happening. Otherwise, the same illusion will happen again and again and again, is that there's something I can do to get out of my suffering other than stop clinging. Isn't that cool? I'm going to tell you exactly what the dialogue is. There's something I can do to get out of the present state I'm in by changing the television uh, uh, channels. You can do that for the rest of your life. But the discovery is, is put down 
the channel changer and turn off the television. Let go. Do, do you see the difference? One is you keep changing the channels, hoping that the next channel is going to give you the answer. That the next channel is going to be the release. Right? Whether it's the uh, Discovery Channel, whether it's the Women's Channel or the Men's Channel, yeah? or whether it's Bravo or CTV, I don't, you know, whatever one it is. And you're, you're, you're hopping around hoping that it's going to work. You know how to turn off the television and have utter peace. How do you do that? Turn it off. And then what do you do? You go look for something to do, yes? But that's not the answer. If you turn it off, the experience is it's turning off. Turn it off. Let it go. Right? And remain in that space of awareness, and that's glory. But if it happens too fast, in a millisecond, and the mindfulness isn't sufficiently acute to pick it up, it'll go right by you. I'll give a demo. Okay, I'll, I'll use this as a channel changer. See? So every time there's a little bit of discomfort, look at someone, nah, I don't like them. <laughs> eh, I don't know. Eh, the nose is too big. So cha keep changing channels, yes? Can I have? Yeah, you want those? Yeah. Yeah, one of those things. Fantastic. So you go around. And you keep changing, altering the experience as if altering the experience is really going to make you happy. Keep changing the channel, right? This cafe. No, you know, I didn't really like the coffee. Let's go to this cafe. Maybe, you know, I didn't really like the coffee here. Let's have some tea. Yeah? And, you know, let's, and let's, let's, let's. So channel changing, channel changing, channel changing, channel changing. Or let's have a fantasy. And when the fantasy, the chemical release from the fantasy wears off, you have another fantasy. Right? That's all it is. It's just, by the way, it's just a, um, you may as well, I, I call fantasies uh, in, internal intravenous drug uh, drip. That's all it is. Well, it's true. You're just producing a high, and then a low, and then a low, 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 high, 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 high. That's all. It's just a, just a chemical internal releaser to modulate you. That's, that's all it is. So you can turn it, turn it, turn it. Now, the thing is, once you take a pause with a channel changer, and there's nothing has arisen, and nothing has really ceased, there's just a pause, the television is clear. The finger has paused. That peacefulness of not clinging to either a new arising or an old arising or even a present arising is going to happen so fast for a mind that isn't well trained that it's going to miss that one or two or, th or let's, well, actually probably uh, 80, 90, no, even more, let's say two, three hundred milliseconds of utter openness and glory. And in that space go, you know, 
I could feel better if I go. I could feel better if I go. I could feel better if I go. And yet, in between each one, there's no clinging. But it's going too fast to spot. The training isn't there. The awareness simply isn't strong enough to catch the utter release of all afflictive emotion. It just ceases. And even when it lasts for a couple seconds, I've known people to go, so what was that? Do you know what that was? No. Actually, that's nirvana. Really? Because there isn't enough strength. Oh, it's been taken off. It was up here. There's an M. A little bit of an M there. Not enough strength to sustain with awareness and mindfulness what that quality is. Does, does this make sense to you? That's all it is. People beat themselves up because they don't actually have a training. It's no different than going trying to play something on a, on, a, on a cello. You don't have the training and you keep flubbing it and you get all anxious and worried and say, I can't do it. The point is, in two weeks you may. It simply isn't there. Because the strength isn't there, the foundation isn't there, there simply isn't the fineness of mind to pick up what's happening naturally. So instantly the thumb goes, channel change, channel change, channel change, channel change, which is normally when you're in a retreat situation in a room that has white walls and no newspapers and magazines and no internet. Well, now it does everywhere, just about, okay? We're whole planet's pervaded. Yeah? You start to get itchy and crawly because you don't have the normal addictive uh, methods. So what do you, what's the first thing that happens? Fantasy. fantasy. And after fantasy, a daydream. And after daydream, some discursive thought. And after some discursive thought, what? Some more discursive thought. All referencing what? Me. I'm not happy, so I'm going to change the channel internally. That's it. So before you start studying the nature of mind, before you start doing high yogas on the nature of mind, doesn't it make sense that it would be very, very helpful to, to get something a little bit, if you wish, more gross, like a sensation? You can get your hands around. It says in the old texts, like in the Vimuti Maga, for the dull mind, give them a meditation the size of a barn door. It does. Large barn door. For those of swift capacity, well, the normal, the standard size is this, a span of four fingers, yeah? Others, it's a cubit from here to here, standard mandala size for meditation. But in other traditions, it can be tiny, tiny, tiny. So the sharper the mind, the greater the concentration, the greater the mindfulness, sustained mindfulness, the smaller you can go. Some of the texts say, meditate as if it's the size of a mustard seed. And some texts will say, make it as small as an atom. You're going to go, come on. 
1,000 years ago, size of an atom? They used the word atom. And they meant atom because they had atomic theory. Did you know, I don't know if you know that. 2,000 years ago, actually 3,000 years ago, in India, there was atomic theory. And if you look up the size of an atom in the old text, it's just a bit bigger than a hydrogen atom. Isn't that cool? I've done this, by the way. Go and look at the, go look at the calculation. Use the examples they give you, and you will come mathematically to a size bigger, just a bit bigger than a hydrogen atom. So when they said atom, they meant atom. Now, I'm not going to get into a debate about how they knew of the size of an atom, but they actually gave the formula for here's how you know what the size of an atom is. Now, the size of an atom is not easy for most people to visualize, is it? No. It's hard. Hard to stay with something on the size of an atom. So we, bigger. Bigger. So you need something fairly gross. Most insight traditions in Southeast Asia, in Southeast Asia, use something fairly gross. And what's something that, that's repeatable in your organism all the time that's fairly gross to most people? Now, gross, I don't mean gross like mucus. I don't mean, like, yeah? I don't mean that kind of gross. Something that's so apparent that you could actually follow over and over and over again. Breath. That's the common method. Other traditions in Southeast Asia, they just use pain. It's, it's grosser. It's pain. I know of one tradition. It's wonderful. If you go to the retreat monastery in, in I think it's in Burma, uh, in the, in the uh, jungle, uh, what they do is they tie you up with ropes into the full lotus position, just leave you under a tree. And they say, go meditate on the sensation. It's pretty gross, and it's obvious. And when it ceases, then you get to know what cessation is. Do you want to try that? No. <laughs> I thought some of you might, you know. I can see that some of the top types, but oh, oh, I like that. And do they use chains? And can we, could we get dressed in leather? Like, do they, do they have, like, the optional leather uh, method? And, and, pardon? Monks robes. Monks robes and leather, yeah. No, they, they, don't. they don't. They don't. So for most people, most people, the, a, a gross physical sensation that repeats itself over and over and over again is a marvelous meditation tool. And guess what? If you were to do it outside you, now what we could do is we could uh, get something gross outside the building that you could observe. Uh, we could order up, anybody have some money? We could, get, we could lease a, uh, a backhoe or a crane, couldn't we? Uh, we could ask the operator to go back and forth. You know that beep, 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 beep. Ever done that? I used to work beside a, uh, a front-end loader all summer long on the Mackenzie River, dumping rock into the Mackenzie River to build islands for oil wells for Esso. All day long, 12, 16 hours a day, beep, 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 because I was beside the front-end loader, which meant I had to hear whether it was running over me or not. Beep, beep, because I was directing the, where the rock went. Beep, so I know that sound really well. All summer long, beep, 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 beep. So we could have that. We could have a gross uh, outer object going back and forth, back and forth, or lifting up its bucket, lowering its bucket. Great. 
but that's still at a distance. Remember we said that the body, the experience of the body is a great mystery and a great conundrum and a great consternation for a lot of people. Yes? What is this experience of body? So it makes a lot of sense since body is connected to ego and connected to self-referencing constantly. It makes a lot more sense to experience phenomena connected with a self-view than a front-end loader or a beautiful watching the leaves move with the breeze. That's very mystical, right? Oh, it's wonderful. So you say to someone, meditate on the leaves moving in the breeze or the waves coming and going on the ocean. Beautiful. But what happens when it's now the coming and going of the breath? Who is it? You. All of a sudden now you're looking at you. That's different, isn't it? Then something out there where you can go. Truth. Mm, beautiful. <laughs> Clouds moving across the sky and vanishing. Clouds appearing. <sighs> Mystical. But all of a sudden, this is now a boring you. It's a breath going in and a breath going out. But at the beginning, it's pretty exciting, isn't it? Wow. Exciting phenomena. But after a while, <laughs> when we're talking about getting to the root of clinging, being able to spot clinging, which is the root of suffering, would you all say that for most of you, that's actually not a very good sentence, but would you say that for most of you in the room, that the body is deeply connected to your self-identification. Would you say that? And would you say that the body, in fact, has conflicted emotions within it? And conflicted view? Consternation, puzzlement, bewilderment, anger, frustration, passion, lust, overwhelming desire, loathsomeness, Shall I go on? Positive and negative emotions around the body image, yes? I suspect there's people in the room who don't want to look at themselves in the mirror. Other people in the room who go, wow. A little bit more. Brill cream. We adorn ourselves, yes? So now look around the room and tell me how much of you see of people's bodies. We don't even show our bodies. What do we show? We show displays. How much, what percentage of the body are we actually showing at any given time? I'm not asking you to get nude. I'm just making a point. What do we actually show of our bodies? What we want the world to see and what is comfortable to us, correct? Look around the room. Isn't that unique? Isn't that something? And some of you, I've noticed, basically wear the same clothes over and over again. You're comfortable in those clothes. That's what you want the world to see about you. So it turns out when you really explore this, anybody, anybody a therapist in the room? There's some therapists in the rooms? Would you say the body is a fairly daily uh, self-referencing occurrence? 
it's on the mind a lot, even though it may not be, I'm, thought, I'm thinking about my body. What percentage of the day would you say? And, and then sensation of body. Food. How many times a day? Food. Thinking about food, going grocery shopping, feeding your children, feeding yourself, feeding your partner, yes? Feeding others. What do you do when you go to work? I mean, anybody work here? Anybody work? <laughs> what are you doing when you're working? Waiting for the next break. <laughs> what's what's the money? What's the money? What's the money? What's the what's the money for? For to food. food. To buy food. And to to put an enclosure around your kitchen. It's called a house or an apartment. <laughs> to make an enclosure around your kitchen so it's not so wet and damp. Let's get real. Let's get basic. What are you doing? Growing things. And reproducing. How often do people think about, how often people think about reproduction in some way, whether it's marriage, relationships, something to do with the, the partner? What's not? So body, 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 self-referencing the body, body, body. But it's an imaginary body because all that thinking about the body is what? Is it real? No. Real. So do you see where it starts? The grossest thing about you, which turns out to be extremely refined and extremely difficult to get at. Is it dawning on how, we, how, how this path works? You have to have a way in. And the way in is the mentalist trip. The way is you're not going to do it, guaranteed, except for very few rare beings you're not going to get through with your emotions. That's the worst thing you can Shall I tell you that? It's the worst thing you can do. I'm just being blatant these years. Something, something happens when you get over 50. You just go, you don't care. I don't care. That's the worst thing you could ever do is meditate on your emotions and go after your emotions. It's simply not going to work for liberation. It's going to work for something else but it's not going to work for liberation. It's way too tricky and connived. It's way too convoluted and messed up, and not messed up in that way, but, but too complex a phenomenon to be a ever able to get your hands on uh, for a long time without training. Uh, I'm, I guarantee this. I just guarantee it. You don't have to trust me. Go find out. Some of you have been at it way too long. I think you found out. It's way too hard a phenomena to get at. Don't. Start with something that you can actually get your hands on. A physical sensation that repeats itself over and over and over again that you can watch. And what's one that repeats itself all day long, otherwise you're dead? <laughs> and then you don't have to worry at all about anything after that. What's that? Breath. Is this correct? And when I say breath, 
I also mean heartbeat. Why? Because a heartbeat is a sensation. Tell me if there's anything different between a breath sensation and a heartbeat sensation. You'll say, oh, it's the breath. One's the heart, one's the breath. Tell me if they're really any different once you uh, work on them. No, both sensations. Does it really matter? No. No breath, no heartbeat. No breath, no heartbeat. Good. <coughs> So all the insight traditions start with the body. And a very high discerning ability with body sensation. If you don't get that, you don't have a foundation to study the mind and study the phenomena of the mind. By the way, body sensation is a phenomena of the mind. But for most people, they don't grasp that. And because they don't understand that and they don't know that, the body sensation appears as an outer something of your body, not of your mind. Is that right? You can tell me no. You can tell me I disagree. That's fine. Don't mind. It's good. Would you say that's true? For most people, that the bo- a body sensation is something that happens in the body, not something that happens in your mind. The rising and falling of the abdomen, yes? is not a mental phenomenon, it's a physical phenomenon. And when you go to study uh, insight, let's say Vipassana traditions, they'll tell you the same thing over and over again. Cut this mental thing out. Physical phenomena, correct? You go study Vajrayana, they'll say, oh, it's not true. It's mental phenomena. But if you go too early, you're in trouble. If you make that jump too early, you're in trouble. What's going to happen? It's very different when you watch a D6 cat going back and forth across the driveway. You know, you know D6? You ever work with it? D6. Some of you know what I mean by a D6. D6 cat. But when the D6 cat goes back and forth, it's kind of out there, and you have a distance to it, and it's all very nice, or clouds going by, or the waves moving. But what happens when you begin to examine bodily phenomena really closely? What's your experience? Hour after hour, when you focus in on a body sensation, what happens? Changes. Changes. But what else happens? Some of you have done enough of this, these practices to know what happens. Is a body sensation isolated from the rest of the body? Would you say that the rise and fall of the belly or the sensation of the nose is actually separated from your brain? Is it separated from your toes? Would you say that the sensation in the nose is actually separated from your, your belly? Would you say it's separated from your heart? Separated from your hands? So what starts to happen once you focus in on bo- a bodily sensation? It connects globally. And because there is frozenness in the body, and because there is stuckness in the body, and because there's views in the body, and there's emotional... What's the word? Mess. (laughs) Stuckness, turmoil, about these things. What's going to happen? You're not going to want to look at your body. 
Because all kinds of sensations are going to be triggered, correct? Yes. Because you're not just looking at your nose. Your nose is connected to your whole body. Matter of fact, you're staring at your brain. So if you want release, you're going to have to be prepared. You must be prepared for things to feel uncomfortable and things to feel blissful. Someone should tell you that at the beginning of people who start to practice meditation. Just, get, just separate the wheat from the chaff. If you want to do this, you're going to actually have to become uncomfortable because that's called normal human release. And you're going to be extremely blissful at times. So get ready for it. Just get it over with. Then half people go up the door. It's great. Okay, out. So since the Buddha's time, the tradition has been in all the insight manuals, start with the body with a gross phenomenon. That's what it is. And if you understand why, then when you go to meditate, you understand what you're doing. You're not, it's, it's not something about uh, so much about the belly. It's about uh, starting with something to do with the body that's repeatable, allowing the mindfulness to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow, and pick up finer and finer detail about what's happening. It takes time. Any questions so far? I just want to tell you why it starts with number one there, which is body. Otherwise, when it comes to things like mental processes, it's way too refined and becomes mystical, becomes airy-fairy, becomes uh, a thinking meditation. As it says in the Zen tradition, sometimes, as has been said, it takes a year to learn how to sit alone, just how to be comfortable sitting. Most people, when they sit or stand in meditation or walk in meditation, are not physically comfortable. Is that correct? They're not physically comfortable. They never were physically comfortable. Why? Just watch them on a chair. great to have a camera, you know, just camera, watch it. It'd be like, you know, those cameras that are, that, when they have sleep labs, and they watch a person sleeping all night, you know, turn, tossing and turning. How did you, did you turn last night? Oh, not at all. Did do you move much at night? Ah, not at all. All over the bed. So just to actually be still, be relaxed and be still. To have that whole body Comfortable. Can take a while. Right? Do you have any idea how much tension is stored in the normal body after 20, 30, well, even sometimes I see after 10 years, 10 year olds, 12 year olds? Absolutely twisted, absolutely tight as a drum. 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 70 years. Twisted, tight gastrointestinal system, right? From the mouth, right down the anus. Like that. Do you know it? No. Do you feel it? No. Just keep turning the channel. When the belly gets a little uncomfortable and you're sitting in a class like this, 
see people go like this. Or the ones that are really good, they're very aware, you know. Senior in class like this. Please don't hurt me. Please don't hurt me. Don't, no, don't say another word. Please don't hurt me. Then there's a you know, blatant one. See, occasionally, occasionally, occasionally see this in class, yeah. I have. Yeah. Or. Yeah. Even the, well, there's, more, there's one that's more subtle. That's completely gone. <laughs> Just look out the window. <laughs> so what happens when there's physical sensation that isn't known or isn't comfortable, what does the organism normally do? It shuts it off, blanks it out, looks away, and protects itself. Isn't that correct? And it can happen without you ever knowing it. And it can happen... 20, 30 times in an hour. Shut down, shut down, shut down, turn away, run. So what are you doing now in meditation? You're staying with it. You're staying with it as a phenomenon. And sometimes it gets downright blissful. As a matter of fact, it can get so blissful in meditation, people reported to me, that just by breathing alone, just by following sensation alone, they're on the edge of orgasm. That's how powerful it can be. Total, total body going into orgasm. With no fantasies, nothing. Just total, utter bliss. Totally gone into ecstatic states for hours. So you get both. The organism has to, if you're going to let go mentally, it's going to have to let go physically. Does that make sense? So I want you to understand what's behind this, not just go breathe. If you understand what's behind it, it's a lot easier for you because what you're going to be doing is observing sensation. When sensation that comes up is uncomfortable, you just sit through it. Why? Because it's going to vanish again. And when it gets really blissful, what do you do? You tell everybody how blissful it is. That's normal, what happens. No, not just kidding. You don't. You sit through it. And what happens when you don't sit through it? You simply have to deal with it another day. Correct? Somewhere the release has to happen. So let it release. So I keep saying to, to students all the time, why are you so afraid about sensation? Why are we so scared of sensation as culture to actually sit and let stuff wash through our body and just process it through, just let it, let it go? Ever had cl- crying in meditation? How many people have ever cried in meditation? For no reason. How many days did you cry? Go on for weeks. Just crying, for weeks. Just crying, for no reason. You can even be happy. Just, wow. Just like this. How many people have had, had head, uh, head twitching? Just, no? Muscle spasms. Anybody been thrown off their seat? Literally just picked up and thrown off their seat. Like an ejection seat. Yeah. Rocked around? Shaking? Hopping? Screaming? Belching? Terrible gas? Peeing all the time? 
How about any, any of you gone to the toilet? I mean, uh, suddenly, uh, not the toilet, suddenly peed or, or, or pooed in the pants in meditation? Just like that. You know? Sure, of course. How about vomiting? Anybody vomit? All of a sudden, you're sitting there, nauseated, let go. Anybody ever been blissful? How about blissful out of your mind? So blissful, you, 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 you can't even be present. All these things have to work themselves out. They have to process themselves out. The whole system is tight. It's been tightened like a, uh, like a spring, like a coiled spring. And more than nine bars of pressure. Way more than nine bars. So when you, when you see in the newspapers or you see others, not, of course not yourself, exploding with fury, exploding with lust, exploding with passion, in crazy states, is it understandable? Coiled like a spring, ready to explode. But normal people have it under control, don't you? Don't you have it under control? It's under control. Barry doesn't. I'm just kidding. Barry's shaking his head. No, I don't. Right? Most people walk around socially able to control those coiled springs. Correct? And they have from time to time during the day. Help me out, psychologists. Do they have psychotic states during the day? Normal people? Yes. Yes. Do you have, would you say from time to time, you have paranoid states? Yes. Full-blown psychotic episodes, except you come back and go, what was that? Yes. Except you come back and go, what was that? Well, I was a bit loony, wasn't I? But I can talk to you. So what's going to have to happen in meditation? Do you think it's all going to go away? No. It's going to have to process itself out. And what's your discipline? What's the art of meditation? To let it actually move through, how it's going to move through, in the time that it moves through, without being moved. So if you could, uh, Raphael, write in giant letters the art of meditation, the craft of meditation, as the Buddha said, be ye unmoved. Don't move. Don't succumb to being attracted to that which is blissful and that which is unpleasant. Just let it process itself out. Giant letters, just so they never forget. Right? Be ye unmoved. Either in the bliss or in the pain. In the uncomfortableness or in the utter pleasure. Just let it process itself. It's going to do it anyways. So why cover it up? Some of you are brave here. You know, you're brave. Because there's people in this room that are not comfortable. But you could just get out and go out the door. I watched this once in a, in a, in a one-week Feldenkrais course I took. There was a lady who was uh, lying beside me and she was... Um, there was a whole room full of people, just like you were doing. I was taking a one-week course, and this, this person 
they were in their 20s, would often just get up and go out the room. Very nice, just get up, walk out, come back in, carry on practicing, come back. And after about four or five days, the instructor came up and said, well, where are you going? Well, I have to go to the washroom. What are you doing in the washroom? Right up. That's how powerful it is, just moving the hand like this and watching it. Others? No, bliss. Others? Periods of nausea? Periods of bliss? Right? Periods of uncomfortability? whole nervous system has to reaccommodate itself. So you have to give it a chance to reaccommodate itself. Can you do that in a day? Can you do that in a weekend retreat and say, great, I'm going to take a weekend, I'm going to take a weekend course with Lama Mark on mindfulness and it's all going to be sewn up. Are you kidding? No way. A week? Are you kidding? And you have to get away from this attitude that all the release is about bad things in your being. It's not. It's simply being an organism on this planet. Would you get real? I'm being direct. You've got to get real and stop being a North American fantasy number. Any being born on this planet gets conditioned, no matter who you are, wealthy or poor well-educated or not well-educated. To be born on this planet is a hard number. Do you understand? And you're going to get twisted. You're going to get twisted by conditioning. Did anybody come out of the womb normally? No, there's no such thing. Anybody in this room that doesn't have a learning disability? I guarantee that every single one of you have some kind of learning disability. The brain's way too complicated to come out perfect. Do all of you have problems? Did all of us come out with, with, uh, as, a, as a teenager with some neuroses? Absolutely. Some more than others. To be born a human being or any kind of creature on this planet is to be twisted and knotted up. It's hard. It's physically, emotionally challenging hmm? to go through school alone. To go through 12 years of school? Are you kidding? What that does to somebody? Let's forget all the parental conditioning, just school conditioning. Three or four years of working in an office, working in a cafe. You're being shaped. And then when you start to be peaceful, the body's going to start twitching, isn't it? It's going to start groaning. It's going to start being uncomfortable. It's going to start being blissful. It's going to go, oh, 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 oh. The arm starts to release. Ever had the arm release and the fingers twitch and it's utterly blissful? Or those beautiful rushing sensations that go down your leg and you think you're going to be transported into heaven? Or the belly warms up and the smile that glows on your face is like a smile you've never experienced before. You just love the entire world. You want to go hug everybody in retreat? <laughs> Ever had that? You just want to go around hugging everybody in retreat? Just love everybody. That lasts for a couple hours or a day. You know. 
oh man, I just, oh, these people are so beautiful. I just love, I love everything in the universe. Yeah? And then the next day, <laughs> I hate life. I feel miserable. I'm achy all over. Every muscle hurts. Like, oh. And then two hours later, God, I love everything. <laughs> wow. I feel that. <laughs> you ever had that? Feel. Can you believe that? Just feel that steel. Just feel that steel. Whoa. You want to show everybody. Look at that. That's amazing. You know? That's absolutely amazing. And then three or four hours later, oh. You feel like you're, you know, 95 years old. And you're like, what happened? And you sit down and you go, ah. But two hours later, it was like, there's no other place I'd rather be. That's when you're doing deep meditation work. The changes, 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 changes. The whole system must release. It must release. Bliss, anger, delusion, greed, lust, they're all jealousy, mass of jealousy. You're a human. And you've got all that human material stored in you. It's not you. So, how do you do this? You start with a gross physical sensation and it leads to everything else. Really simple. And now I get to draw a pretty picture. Ah, green. These are probably permanent markers. <laughs> It'll be funny. Eh? Except we know it takes off permanent markers. 100% ethanol. It works off your time. Even the ones, the lab ones we get, right? Say permanent, will not be erased by solvents, right? <laughs> get erased. Okay. So, tree. When there's a tree, would you say that this root coming from the tree, this little root that ends up being maybe one millimeter in thickness and goes like that into the soil, would you say that that root is not connected to the leaves? No. Would you say it's connected to the leaves? Yeah. So all you need to do is start on this root tip. That's what you're doing with the nose. Just start at this root tip and follow the sensation along the root. And where is it going to go? It's going to find itself in other roots. It might even find itself in mushrooms and fungi. Because mm. fungi are not separate from trees. And there's how many roots down there? How many roots? Thousands and thousands of roots, yeah? And then it'll start coming up.
all around. Do you get the idea? All you need to do is start with the sensation somewhere. You can start with the sensation in your finger. We usually start at the nose. There's a reason for that. Okay? Or we start at the navel. Sometimes we start at the heart. There's just three major places that are started with. For sensation, nose, belly, sometimes the heart, and some teachers use the whole body of sensation. Okay? If you start anywhere, you can trace it through. If you stay with attention, 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 attention to detail, what's going to have to happen to all those roots and all those veins within the tree? They're going to be filled with sensation and awareness. And they're going to have to unbind. They're going to have to untwist. They're going to have to let go. That's exactly what happens. So the Zen teacher that said attention and then said attention, attention, and attention, attention, attention is absolutely correct. It's very wise. If you can stay with attention, attention to the detail of sensation, it's going to run right through your entire body of sensation until the body keeps getting released. It gets re-released, released, released, and you will eventually experience the utter relaxation of the body of sensation. That's called the, called the full body of breath. It's all going to go into a blissful, totally released body of sensation. Okay? You'll get to know what that's like. So that's body. Any questions about that? That gives you an idea. That, that tells you how it works. And if you, because you're Westerners, I think it's wonderful if you know what's behind it. If you know what's behind it, when you sit in meditation, you practice, walk or stand in meditation, it's much more comfortable. You go, so this is what's going on. This is what I'm doing. It's not a big mystery. You have to unravel the years of conditioning which don't take the same, by the way, the same number of years of conditioning to unravel. It's much faster. It's much, much faster. You can go very fast, by the way. So the secret is, be ye unmoved through whatever phenomena occurs and don't cling to any phenomena, no matter how fantastic it is. Otherwise, you're sunk. Because it didn't get a chance to Unwind. Oh, my goodness. Five to eleven. So, you want to take a break? Any questions at all? We'll take a break, and I want to um, uh, play with scorpions. Yes. Uh, we can use clinging and attachment um, sometimes. Um, attachment is often used for um, more uh, more gross activity. Clinging is is I guess very precise to any kind of mental physical event where there's a latching onto without letting it go. There, there are actually two technical terms. This is why uh, I use them differently, and that's that's another time. But two technical terms. One is tanha, and one is upadana. And they have slightly different meanings, but what they're. So we can actually, sometimes we use the word clinging, sometimes we use the word attachment. But really, the root is clinging. Any kind of holding. 
when you physically, when you mentally watch a physical activity and it starts to undergo change, can you hold on to it? Is there anything you can hold on to? Have you found anything you can hold on to? Anybody? Ignorance. <laughs> Question is, can you hold on to ignorance? Can anything you can hold on to? Can you hold on to a sensation? No. So another way of, of uh, teaching, which I like to give sometimes in, in retreats, is cling as hard as you can. See what happens. Just try clinging. So meditate on clinging. In other words, meditate on making sure that you cling. It's a very fast way. Just try to hold on to something and see what happens. Not possible. That can take a long time to dawn that nothing can be clung to. Because there's a part of your, uh, your ego, your, your, your entire conscious structure saying, you can. No matter what you experience, you can. Isn't that amazing? Do all of you, can all of you appreciate intellectually that there's nothing you can cling to? Can, would, is that true? Can you think of anything that you can actually cling to, you can hold on to, that will not change on you? Should we go through this? Do I need to even go through this? Partner? Your partner, your children? Especially your children? It is. It is. Yeah, it is. It's it's actually a better clinging than the other clinging. That's why it helps you. All of teaching is a is a is a better story than the last story. I'm giving you a better story than perhaps the story that you've got going. And then once you come stay with me for a while, I'll take that story away. It's not that I'm telling you anything false. It's just that we keep removing it, removing it, removing it as the comfort zone gets better until the organism can actually remain without any reference point. So you're still holding a reference point, which is great because, because the way teaching, all, the way Dharma, all, all Dharma works is you give a person a reference point that is more free than last reference point. Do you understand? So I'm giving you, I'm giving you, actually in some traditions, uh, I would tell you, I would say to you, in some tradition, especially in Mahamudra Zagchan, that some of what I've told you is actually not true. But it takes you a long way. As a matter of fact, it would take you a long way to personal freedom. Even the notion that a sensation rises and passes away is actually false. It never does. That's a, that's a, con, that's a conjuring trick of consciousness that does that. But for purposes of personal liberation and emotional freedom, it can take you all the way through. So it's a darn good story. Do you, do you understand? It's a very, very, very worthwhile story. So in the same way, you're using a worthwhile story to feel good. When you're strong enough, 
when there's a strong, when there's deep enough merit, then you can actually take away the you that's still in the middle. Yeah? You can take away the center of the cyclone. So once you've now uh, not been clinging to the, to, the, to the cyclone, and you're in the center, we can actually remove you who's being still in the center. And you'll discover a greater depth of peace and a greater tranquility and a greater uh, freedom. And, once, and if you cling to that, then we need to take that away. And, once, and then once you start clinging to freedom, and you st- think there's actually freedom, we need to take that away. Then you still have people with, well, uh, I'm having a radiantly clear mind that's free. Let's take that away. Why? Because they're still clinging to the concept that there's a mind. That there's a thing called freedom. It's not a thing. So this is, this is the way of teaching using just using um, uh, a better way in to freedom. Yeah. Doesn't mean it's wrong, but it may not be the whole, whole thing. Any others? Before we take, let's take a break.